Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show on the Compete Network, powered by Clue, podcast for product marketers and competitive professionals looking to give their companies a competitive advantage. We're in March, and we're going to release a few episodes on how to make sure that your competitive content, your competitive intelligence, actually gets used by stakeholders. It seems obvious, Ben, but it's the most important and the first step in terms of building a strong compete program for your business. That's right. And we brought on for the first guest of the month, Mr. Pat Wall. He's the head of competitive intelligence at Imperva. And we broke down adoption a couple different ways. We talked about how adoption on the one hand is making good content. So we talked about what that good content looks like, some of uh, some of the the best practices from his experience. But it's also about accessibility, right? All the best content in the world, if if you can't find it at the right time, is not going to get used. So we talked about that. Uh, Pat shared uh, that he recently presented at his sales kickoff and his session on compete. He actually had two sessions. He admits, you know, compete sessions at the SKO sometimes they're you know the end of the day. They're the Friday, they're the Friday after afternoon, and they're not very well attended. This one, however, Adam, it was the second highest attended session of the kickoff. Apparently, there were hundreds of people on their feet screaming, and he actually did a really cool trivia game that got everyone involved. So really just talking about not just like the nuts and bolts of adoption, but some of the sort of hacks, some of the ways you can make it fun and make people engaged. So it was really cool. Yeah, you always got to be creative to get your stakeholders invested in what you're doing, uh, and compare until you provide. Uh, also, I'll note, Ben lived out his boyhood dream as a special guest host this episode. Uh, I'll give a little inside baseball here for the, for the listeners. I may or may not have spent the past four days moving in a snowstorm, pretty much getting multiple cars, vehicles, trucks out of snowbanks, uh, a run-in with, with a TELUS installation incident and all that to say i was unavailable these things happen and ben came in to the rescue and i think might be taking taking my role you know the the training wheels were off for sure i i've i've been in this comfortable position uh not having to actually be front and center for a while now um so it was uh yeah it was interesting i hope uh I hope uh, I hope it turned out well. Uh, Pat, you know, Pat can Pat can talk shop all day, so he taught me a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know if this is going to be a permanent thing, Adam. I think I kind of <laughs> like my perch back here, uh, but it was a lot of fun. The show must go on, right? Like the show's got to go on, and uh, that's what we did. That's what we did. The show went on. Ben, thankful for that. And listeners, I hope you enjoy a new host for this episode. Um, let's get into it. Let's get into the conversation with Pat. I am joined by Pat Wall. He's the head of competitive intelligence at Imperva. Pat is a friend of the show. He's one of my favorite followers on LinkedIn. And as a result, I consider him one of the utmost sources of knowledge and wisdom in the compete space. Pat, I promise that's the only part of this interview that will be scripted was that intro. It's great to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ben. I'm so pumped to be here. And I thank you for the kind words, yeah. You were on the podcast last year, so you're podcast season two. And you were one of the sort of first five or six interviews I got to be a part of. Yeah. No, I, I like I said, it's great to have you and uh, thanks for being a guest. Yeah. I'm pumped to be here. It's awesome. I love being on this podcast. It's fun. Love to see the reaction of the people in the audience talking about uh, competitive. Right on. So, um, so let's get into it. Little Birdie told me, Pat, uh, could be your CSM. 
a uh, little birdie told us that you had a presentation at your SKO and that it was a bit of a hit. Can you tell me a little bit about what went into that presentation and how it was received? Sure. I actually had two presentations. They were back to back. Um, and as you know, at SKO, competitive intelligence always becomes like the last session before going, before everyone gets up and goes to the bar and hangs out, right? It's the last session. And everyone's like, I got to listen to competitive intelligence one more time. And so what I did was I said, hey, let's bring the bar to the actual presentation. So I actually branded it competitive cocktails. And we actually did a two one-hour sessions on competitive cocktails. And we did one for our application business unit and one for our data business unit. It was really powerful. For our app, we did a nice panel with all our head sellers talking about competition, talking about how they use Clue, talking about how they use our competitive Slack channel and showing the entire org how great it was. And then the next one we did for our data was we did a game. We used a game, we used Kahoot and we played a trivia game. And it was really great because people were having drinks, shouting out answers, yelling about our competitors. It was a really great time to get people active and engaged after a long day of sitting and watching presentations. And it was, so what I understand is that both of those sessions were pretty well attended. Is that true? Yeah, around 500 people were, uh, were attending there and it was, uh, people were clapping and sharing. It was a great time. So if in your experience, and I'm sure this is shared with a lot of people, um, so if you're in your experience, the compete session kind of ends up at the back end of an SKO. How do you make sense of the fact that often it gets pushed to the end of the compete sessions, but yours was so well attended? What what goes into that? Well, I mean, you always say the best for last, right? That's what I always say. It's like you always gotta say the best for last. And I think competition's always the best. And so that's why that's why it's always last. I know, but in reality, it's it's getting people excited, right? Everyone loves comp I always say everyone loves competitive intelligence, right? Everyone loves it. And that's the best and worst thing about being in CI is that everyone loves it. But everyone really does love it. They get excited. They're like, hey, can I win a deal with this competitive information? Can I learn something new that's going to help me move forward? And so that's why I think people get really excited about CI and competitive sessions. And then when you get them, instead of just pat wall doing 128 slides on the competitors, getting them active, getting them engaged, getting them to listen from their peers or playing a game, it brings a much more new level of excitement to the competitive intelligence. So, I mean, what I'm hearing, and this is sort of a term that, that I hear every so often and that I think makes intuitive sense to me, but, uh, but it's sometimes hard to define, and that's the culture of compete. Um, and it sounds like, I mean, you tell me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that exists at Imperva. I think it does, right? And that's one of my favorite, my favorite things is culture and compete. Stay tuned for that, but. I love culture and P because really it's having people always think about competition and not in competition like, oh, we're going to bash the competitors. It's how can we get better? How can we make our customers more ha happy? How can we compete on a little bit more, 1% more, 2% more uh, for the organization that, that can show a ton in the organization. And so getting everyone involved from sales to CSM to engineering to product, all talking about competition is really a culture compete. And I mean, to what extent has that changed in your time at Imperva? Has Have you seen any noticeable difference one way or another since your start to where you are now? Absolutely. I mean, I think when, when you get, when you have a competitive uh, program and you amplify that program program and you make it so that people understand it and understand what you're doing um, and being an advocate of that program and also being an advocate for sales, you, you, get, you build a brand within your company and you build a brand within your CI program. And that's actually really great. So then people can say, Hey, you know, if I have a CI problem or if I have a question, I can go to Pat and his team and get the answer. Or if they don't have the answers, 
they're going to know who will have the answers. And what have you done to build that brand? I mean, you know, and, and get as specific as, as you want to get here, but it sounds like there's a little bit of the sort of soft skill of it all, you know, building relationships, you know, keeping a presence, but, but there are still actions to be taken to those, to those ends. So I'm wondering what's worked for you so far in terms of, uh, yeah, building the brand, staying present, uh, uh, you know, front and center in the organization. Absolutely. I think, you know, I think you point out, right, it's the soft skills, yeah, being in front, talking to people, talking to executives, talking to leadership, talking to individuals, and just listening too. I think one of the things a lot of times with competitive, we really need to stop and listen and hear what they're trying to ask for and understand that, hey, they really need this because it's going to help them move the needle. And so having that listening and just sitting there and being a sponge of absorption really helps because then people will say, hey, Pat actually, or the competitive individual, really took to heart what I was asking and came back with this. I think that's a really big area. And then also it's, you know, it's the skills that you need from bad intelligence. It's having the ability to look at competition, look at the market and say, where do you think it's going? What are ways that we think we can win deals? How do we publish information to the sales? And if it's right, how do we replicate it? If it's wrong, how do we fix it? And you mentioned that you have a, a competitive intelligence channel in Slack. But I'm curious, like, how have you found success in, in moderating that channel? And, and how do you do it? Like, how do you stay on top of everything? How do you kind of give enough information when it's necessary, but, you know, leave the whole story for something else? Like, how do you kind of walk that line? Absolutely. Um, so you, you'd be surprised, actually. There's a lot of companies that don't have the competitive Slack channel or that it's just more of a dumping ground of, hey, these, this is an RSS feed of all our competitors' blogs. So I would, if you don't have one, absolutely build one. But the way I'm monitoring, the way I look at it is I can't be the sole per, only person answering questions. I can't be the only person in there answering questions. So what I do is I have a team of people who I work with, but when I see a question come in, as, as we were beginning, I started to ask them, hey, do you want to answer this question? Or can you, can you jump on this? Or can you jump on this? And then organically over time, they began to take that and become SMEs and actually be be the competitive channel. And then you have sales reps who have got feedback and got insights from the competitive channel. They tell their peers, they are active in there too. So it's kind of, it kind of grows organically. And I think that's a really great way of doing it. And also, you know, when you find some good insights, there's certain things like I always, I like to tier my insights, you know, is, do I need to send this out immediately? Is this going to immediately affect sale? If it is, I'm going to post that immediately in the Slack channel. If it's, this could help sales, but it's not going to immediately help them. Maybe I'll save that for a battle card. Or if it's like, hey, this is a really great insight, but I think this is more for an executive level than an actual sales. I'll send it around to the executives as well. Is that usually just email comms with you or is it a direct message on Slack? Is it a group message? Combination, a combination, depending on who it is. If I think it's across the entire executive suite, I'll send an email. If there's like, maybe it's a technical or a sales piece, I might send it to uh, individuals who are technical or sales, or it might be geo too, where, Hey, this competitor is having an issue and you know, APAC. So I might send it over to our geographical leaders in APAC. So there's, there's a lot of, uh, discretion that you have, right. Yeah. And, and that's something that I, I want to say you can only get through experience. Right. I mean, is that, can you, if you could put words to it, like all of those things, you know, are they just sort of a, like intuitively you're processing all that information. You're saying, okay, they're in APAC. So this is important. Um, 
you know, this information's urgent, so I'm going to send it now, even though the information's imperfect. Like, is that just kind of like, for lack of a better word, touch and feel with you? Or have you, I don't know, have you like developed best practices that you could teach to someone if they were saying, Pat, teach me your ways? Yeah, I, I, I think I, I kind of developed best practices and I think it's more of just, hey, like, these are these are the steps that I take uh, when looking at information. And I think it's kind of those steps that help out when people understand it. I think over time, though, it's experience, right? You know, it's doing this for many years and there's many times where I didn't send the right thing or I didn't send it fast enough or I waited and or I sent or I sent it too fast. So there's a lot of times where I didn't do it great. Um, and then you learn from that, you fix it and you change. So do you know the expression burying the lead? Can you, t- can you explain a little bit more? Yeah. So burying the lead is a term in uh, journalism when, when the most important part of the story, instead of putting it right at the start, you actually put it down below. And that's exactly what I've done for this episode, because really what we're here to talk about is adoption and uh, specifically adoption about compete content. Um, and, you know, certainly the culture of compete has something to, to do with that. And so I want to get in like a little bit specific about the adoption, but I'm going to ask you another high level question because Lord knows I love the high level question. It's a bit of a philosophical one. It's like chicken and the egg. What comes first, the compete content or the culture of compete? That is a good question. So I think it's, it depends on the organization, but I think really you, you have to build a culture and compete takes a very long time. It doesn't, it's not like I always say, you know, Bev Intelligence, it's not a sprint, it's not a marathon, it's an ultra, right? You, once you finish that marathon, you still have a bike and a swim to do. And so I think building culture and Pete takes a very long time. So with, I think it's the content and it's really the, the content that does that because the content helps to bring people together on the, on the competitive and say, yeah, this is actually important. Okay, this makes sense. It's not just a Harvey Ball checklist of progress. This is actually good content that I'm going to use and help win deals. Yeah, so I mean, you, you you just mentioned good content, and when I was preparing for this this interview, you know, asking a few of our CSMs, our insights team, I was saying, you know, what what does drive adoption? And one thing that came up was, you know, good content leads to high adoption rates. And I thought, well, okay, that's that's maybe glossing over some of the important details, but but point taken, right? Good content, if it's if it's received well, it's going to be used more, and that's going to start a bit of a snowball effect, but. I'm curious to you, what does good content even mean? Absolutely. And to that point, good content doesn't always mean it's going to be used, right? So, I mean, you can have the best content in the world, but if the sellers don't know about it, if PMMs don't know about it, they're never going to use it. And so it's really having that adoption. But what I look at good content is it fits the need of the individual uh, when they need the content, right? And so I, what I say to that is like, I usually focus on sales. Um, I used to be in sales, so I focus on sales for some of my content battle guards. Um, and so for that, it's very simple. I make it very simple, um, very easy because sales has a ton of information coming at them all the time. And so if they can quickly look at the three things to dismiss a competitor very quickly, then that's that I find that as good content. And a lot of times sales will be like, yep, Pat, that was great. I saw this information on the fly and now I'm, now I'm off to the meeting. Can you think of an example or two that stick out in your mind when you've build compete content for sales. Let's go with sales. Um, and it was either something that, you know, responded to a need that they didn't, that they didn't know they had. And that's what made them love it. Or where you just like really nailed it 
can you can you think of a couple of those situations? Sure. At a previous company, um, when I was building content, we were doing this for pricing, right? And so we didn't really talk about pricing because we were the category leader, right? And so, but new competitors came up and pricing became an issue. And so they didn't really know there was a pricing issue, but I, what I did was I started to build a uh, competitive pricing in the battle card and it was very powerful. And they were like, whoa, I didn't even think about this. Like, you know, the reason why I might have lost this deal was price, not because of like something else. And it's like, so it was actually educating them on, hey, this is how you went on price because you were a category leader. You built the category for years. So you didn't really have to compete on price. Now there's other, there's two, three, four, five different competitors. You might have to compete on price. And here's the thing. And it was really powerful to show them that. We'll be right back after a word from the Compete Network. The way the market looks today is not how it was yesterday. And spoiler alert, it'll be different tomorrow too. Hi, I'm Devin O'Rourke, founder and managing partner at Fluvio and the host of the Embracing Erosion podcast. On my show, we talk to product marketers, founders, investors, and go-to-market leaders to shine a light on what it takes to tackle difficult go-to-market challenges. How do you make decisions with speed and effectiveness? What makes for a great leader? And what are the most common go-to-market mistakes and how can you avoid them? Embracing erosion means embracing change, and you'll hear from some of the best in the business who know firsthand why embracing erosion is key to success. Join me, Devin O'Rourke, on the Embracing Erosion podcast, powered by the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. What goes into, like, so let's let's get granular because I'm guilty of being high level all the time. Let's get granular. Uh, pricing card. What does a good pricing card look like? All right. So when I look at a good pricing card, I look at it, I, I like to educate them on what products are we pricing, right? So like a lot of company competitors have different products. Showing them, hey, these are the products that are similar to ours, right? That we compete with. There's a lot of the ones out there, but these are the ones that are apples to apples. Because you never want to price oranges and apples, right? You want to price apples to apples. And then next, it's giving them a ballpark range of, hey, this is what we think, or this is what we know the pricing is going to be. And this is why with these parameters. Well, if you're looking at, you know, bandwidth, number of seats, if you're looking at wide differentiation, that we show kind of, hey, this is how you price on that nature. And then what, additionally, what we show them is what's how aggressive they are discounting. Because right now you're seeing a lot of competitors be really aggressive discounting because we're in a, we're going into recession. A lot of companies are worried about uh, you know customer churn, new customers, so they're being really aggressive with discounting. And so we kind of show them, hey, in this process of a sale, this is the discounting that this competitor will do, um, and when they'll do it. We have competitors that will almost you know do it immediately. They'll discount right away. We have competitors that will wait till the end to uh, discount as well. So th- we show them when the actual discounting is going to happen with the price. That, uh, that timing piece must just be so valuable for salespeople, huh? That's such a good example of how like that piece is just so valuable that there, if you get it to people in the right way, there's no way they won't appreciate a card like that with that information, right? Like it's obvious. There's no like concept here. It's like, this is so clear how this is tactically um, useful to you. Um, and I imagine that that's not an easy nut to crack. So, I mean, look no, it's good not. on you. Good on I, I, I failed many times at this, right? I've, I've done cards where I'm like, oh, here's all the pricing of every single piece. Like, here's the price list. Here's everything. I've done other cards where, like, they won't discount. I've done so many different cards where it's they've done 
uh, where it's been poorly to the point where, you know, finally I've got a point where I, this is where I think, you know, the best, the best assets are for this, for my organization and every organization is different. You have to remember. Um, so I mentioned off the top, you know, that when I sort of did an unofficial survey of, of my team, you know, good content is the content that gets adopted, but I drilled down a little bit more, tried to get a little bit more specific. And one thing they brought up is there's kind of two, two sides to this. There's, there's the call, the quality of the content, which is what you talked about. Um, but then there's also the accessibility of, of content. So I'm wondering, do you have any, you know, kind of tactics that you use for making sure that the content gets in front of the right people at the right time? So I, I call it just in time for best intelligence, right? Like I want it to, I want them to get competitive intelligence when they need it. So I don't, and that doesn't matter where they are, right? If they're in Clue, if they're in our, um, you know, our Guru or High Spot, if they're in Salesforce. I want them to have the competitive intelligence where they are so they don't have to go to three different places to get it. If they're searching for stuff in our content hub, they can see the competitive intelligence there. If they want to go to Clue and go deep dive, they can do that there. If they're in a deal right in Salesforce typing in notes and they want the competitive intelligence, it can be right there as well. Or if they're like, hey, I'm in Slack and I'm just interested, it's in there as well. I want the competitive intelligence to be wherever they are so they don't have to go because the minute you have to go to a different page or a different website, you lose them. It's almost, it's kind of like marketing as well, right? You don't want your marketing leads to go to a different website. So just as like that, you want the consumers of your content to be where they are. Hmm. Very cool. Um, speaking of accessibility, and we might cut this. I didn't get approval to ask this question. Not that I really need approval, but anyway. Um, so I heard that you actually aren't a uh, Intel Digest sender. I am not. And, you know, obviously I am, I am so judging you for this. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm curious because as someone who doesn't send the digest, right? Like I, I know of them, I receive them. Um, it's, it's one of those things where like a Slack channel, it's automatic for some, but not for others. And for you, someone who's, you know, expertise on this topic, I respect, you know, a, a great deal. I'm just curious from your point of view, why, why, why the Intel digest hasn't been part of your, uh, your, your toolkit. No, it, it's a really, it's a really good question. And the reason why is, um, I don't send an email out yet, out yet is because when we were building their program, sales PMs, they had so many different other, you know, emails and they were even bar with different things across that. So when I was working with leadership, we said, Hey, right now is not a time to be sending out more emails and more content because it's just going to get lost in the, in the fun. So what we said was let's wait. And so we're actually right now in this year, I'm actually building a digest uh, that's going to be sent out uh, via Slack. So I'm actually building the digest and you go out via Slack instead of email. Um, but it's be much more, you know, focused on, Hey, here's the things I'm looking at a bi-weekly. So it's, it's wanted versus a, Hey, every week. Yeah. That's so interesting because I think, I think what, what I'm hearing there is that it wasn't, it's not a matter of understanding the potential value of a digest. What? It's just you being aware of your own situations and making an intelligent informed decision saying this is not how we're going to this is not the the area where we're going to lean into accessibility you know Absolutely. we're going to use other things i think that's really cool man i think that that's yeah. you know there's it's good to have uh you know we, we do our best on the show to you know try to give you kind of almost a checklist you know the, the yeah. ci checklist the ce checklist but it's not going to be the same for every single person and it doesn't mean that just because you're not doing one of these things that you're not going to accomplish your goals, right? There's different ways to get there. Absolutely. And the other thing for me, it was more of, hey, like from a time perspective, I can focus on, you know, building that culture compete. 
where I can build digest. And for my organization, it was, let's focus on building that culture and Pete and we'll build the, di- the digest will come. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, so, so we talked a little bit now about what sort of good content is and that's mixed with, you know, sort of clarity. It's also pertinence and it's also, you know, finding, uh, making it easy to find. Um, so what, what happens in your situation if the content is by all measures good, but people don't use it? Yeah. How do you, like, can you tell me about a time maybe when you built some content that you thought like, look, this is good and it's, it's not getting used. Like, how do you assess a situation like that? And what do you do to resolve it? Oh, it happens all the time. All the time I build content that's not used because I, I, I always forget that, Hey, I'm like, I'm, I'm a CI nerd. I'm going to build this great content. I'm going to push out there. People are just going to come to it. And it's absolutely does not happen. You have to push it and you have to push it a lot because as I said, PMs and sales and CSMs, they have other jo- jobs. They're not just sitting there waiting for, you know, that new battle card. What they're waiting for is someone to tell them new battle card happened and telling them again and again and again and doing an enablement session and doing a, a kickoff and doing more analysis in Slack and doing it more and more and more to the point where they're like, oh, okay, now it's here. And then they, re- they digest. It takes a very long time to get that digest. Hmm. What, um, so it like, you know, if you were, if you were to make an apples to apples, uh, analysis here and you're looking at, okay, well, uh, in this case, you know, if the content is equal and the adoption rates are different, like what do you then turn to as, as what you need to do to, 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 um, bridge that gap? Sure. So, I mean, if, if it's Apple apples and the content's still not being used, that's when I go and I ask for feedback and I say, why are you not using it? So that's when I actually go and I talk to the sales, the SCs, the BDRs, they say, Hey, what's going on? Like, why are you not using this? Why are you not understanding this? And actually, um, what I do is I, I actually take some analytics and I actually figure out what groups are not using it within the, within our departments and say, Hey, okay, you know, we're seeing a very high rate of usage in you know, APAC, but we're not seeing a very high rate of usage in Cala and EMEA. Is there a reason for that? Is it because you're not seeing this better? Is it because the competitor has a different, you know, compete strategy? So I go out and I actually talk to individuals and bring them to and say, Hey, you're not using this. Why are you not using this? How can we fix it? And get the feedback. And sometimes it's, Hey, Pat, this is really good, but we're focused on this sales play. Or other times it's, Hey, Pat, this is, this is okay. But, you know, we tried it a couple of times. It didn't work out. Um, and that's okay. And then I say, okay, great. And, and I say, well, what does work? How do we fix it? How do we change it? Bring in that feedback and make those changes on the fly. To what, uh, to what extent do you, like, how often do you send out, I don't know, like a survey versus have those conversations? over Slack versus have those uh, conversations, you know, in person over Zoom. So I'm, I'm a type of person where I rather have a conversation in person over Zoom or in Slack versus survey, because we all have so many surveys. It's like, how is this presentation? How is this? Can you show the survey? And everyone either goes nine, 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 or 10, 10, 10, or one, two, one, two, one, two, right? It's either, it's on that side, right? And so I find surveys sometimes misguiding because we have so much other stuff to do. So what I do is I actually reach out to the people using it and say, hey, you know, why are you using this or why aren't you using this or how can we change it and actually have those conversations? And then I'll also get on, you know, leadership calls too with their teams and say, hey, you know, we have this new bow card. It's really great. Um, what do you like about it? What do you dislike about it? Okay. I'm going to give you some Play-Doh to mold here. So sure. this is a hypothetical situation. You've landed in a new company. They have some compete content. They're not, you're not starting from scratch. 
Um, but let's say you're, you're just a few steps above scratch. Gotcha. And I want to know if you were in that situation, what are some of the short-term quick wins you would do to boost adoption? And then also, and I don't know if this is like a one or the other, if it happens at the same time, but what are some of the steps you would start to implement to also build that, you know, that long-term culture of compete? Sure. Absolutely. So quick wins, it's really, it's having conversations with all the executives, all the leadership, having with ICs and having a conversation around, hey, like, what, what are you using in the competition? What are you not? How do you feel about the competition? Maybe doing a survey analysis of what they feel about the competition. Um, and getting those tidbits of saying, you know, what's good, what's bad. They'll tell you what's bad. They, they will always tell you what's bad about the competition, no matter how great your compete program is. And so it's taking those things and making tweaks to the program very quickly. Um, you know, it might be, hey, take me shifting it from a product focused battle card to a sales focused battle card. It might be, you know, bringing in some pricing analysis. It might be, you know, making it more technical for the SEs. Very quick wins that you can do really quickly to show them that, hey, this is going to be valuable. Um, and then at the long term, long term is building a cadence of seeing, of having them enable you. I think competitive enablement is a really big thing. And I think it's probably one of the biggest things that we all sometimes as CI professionals forget about. I mean, I think having that competitive enablement strategy and making it so that people understand that you're here and you're a resource and you can learn and you can give them tidbits that's going to help them um, in the day job. And that's where I think it, that's when you start building that culture and people be like, oh, I get this. Or, oh, yeah, you know, this competitor, we're not, we're going to bring a team together. We're going to attack this better. We're going to go figure out what's happening over there and bringing those people together. That's when you get that real culture of compete. One more question before we move on to rapid fire. Sure. Um, you know, something that, uh, something that I heard from, from a few of our, our CSMs here was that executive buy-in to compete, you know, that can have a really strong influence on, on adoption, right? I mean, if your VP is telling you, you need to look at this, you're going to look at it. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, not just the importance of that buying, because I think that's pretty well understood, but like, what can you do, someone in your position, to to drive that kind of buy-in? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Executive buy-in is probably the, one of the most important uh, pieces of information um, for CI. To get there is just you have to talk. You have to talk to your executive. You have to have conversations with VPs and executives, and they're just people, just like me and you. And so, you really need to have those conversations and understand what what is their pain points. So I guarantee if you can help solve their pain points, they're going to push you to their VPs and their directors and their sales, and they're going to help to push your your brand and your competitive out there. And so that's going to be really powerful. And so when they bring you on their calls and they make it so that the other leadership sees you and, you know, the PM leadership brings you on calls, and all these different um, leadership brings you on and shows you, then the organization starts to say, hmm, this is important, culture, compete. It starts to build in there as well. Okay, it's rapid fire time. Let's Pat, do it. Pat, for season three of the Competitive Enablement Show, we've tried this new thing where, well, I've tried this new thing where I actually don't show Adam the rapid fire questions before. He's just Fair. seen them live on air for the first time and I get such a thrill out of it. This is obviously a little different now because I'm the one running, uh, running the ship here. There um, you go. But nonetheless, this is rapid fire. Are you ready, Pat Wall? I'm ready. Let's go. Cool. Okay. Number one, what was the first job you ever had? First job I ever had, I was a caddy at a golf course, carrying bags at a golf course. What is your favorite? You can choose one of these. What is your favorite book, movie, or TV show? Oh, that's a good one. Gotta go Shawshank Redemption. 
It's a great movie. I can watch it all the time. It's just, it's a great movie. What's the best part about living in the Northeast? Oh, the outdoors. I love the outdoors. I'm the type of guy where if I'm not you know, building CI, I'm either mountain biking or skiing or hiking. So being in the outdoors all the time. What's a funnier accent, Canadian or Mainer? I gotta say Canadian, A. Uh, and last question, what, uh, what's your biggest uh, priority this year at work? What's, what's the most, uh, let's say the most pressing kind of priority that you're working on this year? You know, so we built the foundation for uh, CI and Bourbon. So right now we're trying to build it on the second floor. And so we've done really great enabling ourselves, um, enabling the organization. And so now we're gonna go out and we're enabling our customers, our partners. And so building that whole culture compete out to, outside to our ecosystem as well. I'm going. Right on. Pat, thank you for being a guest, for being a fan of the show. Really appreciate everything you do for the community. Uh, appreciate you bearing with me while I uh, did my first hosting duty. Um, I already kind of plugged you off the top how good your LinkedIn is, but is that the best place to reach you? Uh, and yeah, that'd be along? great. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn, Pat Wall. Um, thanks so much. And Ben, thanks so much for having me as your first guest. I really appreciate it. We thank you, Pat, and uh, we'll catch everyone next week.